0: She's going to preach to us tonight, which I'm really excited about. And I'm going to pray for you first. Yeah, thank you. Let's go. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the treasures and the truth in your word. God, thank you for what you've laid on Jude's heart to bring to us tonight. Thank you for her time and her prep and her study. God, as she brings your word, I pray you'd give us ears to hear, open hearts, and I pray for Your Holy Spirit to do Your incredible work in us tonight. God, thank You for Your anointing here upon Jude. Bless her, do her good through this too. We pray, and may You be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, okay. Beth. This is the first time I've ever worn a Brittany mic, which is very exciting. And um, Julia helped me put it on and said, do you want me to put it down the back of your top? And I said, yes, yes, please, thinking it would go you know, down my jumper. But it went fully down my inside top. And it was absolutely freezing. And it just <laughs> But it's all good. It's all sorted now. Aww. OK, I'll try to keep filling with it. It feels really weird. Um, hi everyone, it's really, really lovely to be with you. This is my first time actually having a go at teaching the words like this from the front. So I confess that I'm feeling a little bit nervous and did have that thought before I got up. I could just bolt out the door. I could literally just l- run away. <laughs> You've got to love the old fight or flight system, haven't you? But I'm really pleased to see such lovely, friendly faces. And Kit has said that she's going to throw things at me and try to make me laugh. So. Um, so that's all good. Um, okay, so we're going to be carrying on um, what we've been doing at Renewal, looking at the parables. And um, today we're going to be in Matthew 18. So if you've got a Bible, if you could turn turn there with me. Um, and while you're doing that, um, we're going to be, uh, just to give you a bit of kind of a heads up of where we're going, we're looking at the parable of the unforgiving servant. Um, and um, we're going to be thinking a bit together tonight about... Um, the kingdom of God and how it is characterized by this incredible thing that is unlimited forgiveness, and how this is based purely on God's, God's prior and lavish forgiveness towards us. Um, so that's where we're going to be heading over the next 20, 25 minutes. <laughs> oh dear, I haven't done it in under 25 minutes yet, so let's see how we go. Okay, so we're in Matthew 18. So just to give a bit of context, we're going to jump in at verse 23. Um, but previously in the chapter, Jesus has been hanging out with his disciples, spending time with his friends. They've been talking quite a lot about sin, about how seriously Jesus takes sin. They've been, um, Jesus has been helping his disciples to understand, uh, what do we do when someone sins against us? How do we deal with that? You go to them, you, you know, tell them, if they still don't listen take someone else Um, and then they get to this point where Peter says to Jesus how many times should I forgive my brother like seven times Um, and I love that because I get the impression that Peter's probably thinking like whoa, this is like a super generous suggestion that I might even consider it seven times. And um, Jesus probably just blew Peter's mind, and he responds, and he says, no, not seven times, 77 times. Um, And we've got this deal in the Bible of the number seven um, kind of symbolizing fullness, completeness. So Jesus is saying to him, you know, you fully forgive forever, completely, time and time again. And then he shares this parable. So we're going to jump in at verse 23. cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister. From your heart. I should get my water. Thank you. Oh, quite a heavy one. <laughs> um, I really felt God put this on my heart to to speak about tonight, and um, we're just going to go through it kind of section by section. Um, and um, yeah, let's just crack on. So. Um, In this parable, we we see that we've got a king who has servants who owe him money. So you've probably made the connection that the king is is representing God and the servants are representing us. And this king decides to settle his debts. So he calls his servant to him. There was a day of reckoning. There was a day when his servants were called to account. And that's the same for us, isn't it? There's going to be a day of reckoning when Jesus returns and we're all called to give account. And we see that the servant, he owes the the king 10,000 bags of gold. And um, just stick with me here on this math. So I've been doing some math on this. So one bag of gold represented in those days about 20 years of day laborers' wages. And he owed 10,000 bags of gold. So to pay off his debt, that would be the equivalent of 200,000 years of day laborers' wages. So it was the highest possible debt, and it was completely unmanageable, completely, there was absolutely no way, even if he lived to be, ripe old age of 90, there's no way he's ever paying this debt off. Roughly in our kind of equivalent money, that is a debt of about 6,257 billion pounds. I mean, the point, it's crazy, isn't it? How would anyone ever amount that amount of debt? I don't know. The point being, he owed a debt that he would never be able to pay off. This is us before our holy king, isn't it? Our debt, not financial, but a huge debt of sin. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God and have this huge debt that we owe King Jesus, our holy and perfect God. Have you, I wonder if you've ever found yourself wondering, is my, is my debt of sin really that bad? Have you ever struggled to think of something to repent of, minimized your sin? It was understandable I reacted that way. I was tired, hungry, overwhelmed. I know I definitely have been guilty of this. But do you know what, in the Bible, We learn that God sees every deed. He knows every thought, and he knows every motive. Just dwell on that for a moment. Over our lifetime, every unkind thought, every selfish act, every criticism, every judgment, moment of pride, moment of vanity, every lustful thought, every harsh tone, every impulse of impatience, crossword, cutting remark, denial of Jesus, every moment of cowardice, God has seen it all. He even sees the underlying sinful motives in our heart, which we don't even recognize in ourselves. We have a billion pound debt before our king. And like the servant, we just can't pay it off. So how does the king in this parable respond? We read that he feels pity. In some translations, it says he feels compassion. He feels great compassion. And he pays off the debt. He forgives the debt. There was no way that the servant would ever be able to pay back his debt to the king. In the same way, there's no way we can ever pay back our own debt. Our slate is wiped clean by Jesus. Isn't this good news? (laughs) By his death on the cross, he took the punishment that we deserved so that he could forgive us and welcome us into his family. It's his great mercy. It's his great love towards us. It says in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is really good news, isn't it? So not only are we indebted to our king, we also have others who are indebted to us, don't we? Crikey, we live in a fallen world, and anyone who's been alive a day, I think, realizes that um, we're broken people in the church and out of the church, and people are going to sin against us. People are going to hurt us and cause us pain, and um, this parable has something to say about this. So we see that this servant, he's been forgiven this incredible debt um, by the king, and he doesn't go away with a grateful heart, or maybe he does for a moment, but then he forgets. And then it says he goes straight out and he finds this other servant and starts choking him saying, pay me, pay me what you owe me. And servant number two, as we'll call him, he pleads with him, please be patient with me. Very same position servant number one was in previously. He shows no mercy. He refuses to forgive him and throws him into jail until he can repay his debt. And I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I thought, that's absolutely ridiculous, as if anybody would do that, if they'd been forgiven that debt. And then I realized that it's so easily us. It's so easily us. I think we all find ourselves thinking, do I have to forgive that person again? We can so easily find ourselves acting like servant number one, forgetting, not realizing the huge debt that Jesus has released us from, and withholding forgiveness from others, and I just want to hone in on two particular ways tonight that I think we can get caught up in unforgiveness. The first one being what I would describe as a build-up of the everyday seemingly small things that perhaps build up over time. The niggles, you know, a lack of care from Bob over there and a crossword from Betty here criticism here and insensitivity here and we can we so easily take offense don't we and or maybe it's just me but we find that our hearts can can grow hard towards other people towards friends colleagues your spouse your children your parents towards others in the church and sometimes i think we might not actually realize that we're withholding forgiveness we might not kind of be actively thinking i'm, not, I'm never forgiving them again but actually we might notice bitterness in our hearts a wallowing or a self-pity, playing it over and over again in our heads, not letting go of things. Maybe we might notice that um, something seemingly small happens, and then we have a really overly sensitive response um, to potentially something quite small. And I know I was thinking for me in married life um, with Paul that that can be me sometimes, that perhaps I have felt a bit criticized a couple of times earlier in the day about, I don't know, I'm doing the washing up or something silly and um, I I sort of hold on to it, and then a few days later, a tiny thing happens, and then I have this sort of huge response to a tiny thing, and Paul's like, whoa, (laughs) what's going on, what's going on? And I think what it is, is that I haven't forgiven, I haven't let go. I've held on to stuff. Perhaps it turns a bit stronger than that for you and turns to hatred in your heart withdrawing from the other person, not wanting to to go near with them, not wanting to draw close, not wanting to be intimate, not wanting to pray for them, perhaps interpreting everything they do as hurtful and negative. And I think if we're honest, this is so often driven by our own pride, not seeing our true selves and the extent of our sin before a holy God. Maybe thinking, oh, I'd never treat other people like that. Can't believe they spoke to me like that. How rude. We notice the stick in others' eyes and we forget the log in our own. Our hearts can grow hard and the number of it is that we're not extending forgiveness. <clears throat> the second category, I'd say, is where others' sin against us has just been, it's been so wrong and it's been hugely painful and hugely costly. Perhaps it's abuse, violence, Maybe rejection, betrayal, abandonment, the really big stuff in life. Perhaps it seems too hard to forgive because it seems like forgiving might dismiss the pain that's been caused. It might suggest that they've gotten away with it. Um, they don't deserve it. What they did was so wrong, I just can't forgive. And um, in, in my life, I'd say I've got one, one big stone like this in my life, one really big thing that... Um, I won't share the details now because it wouldn't be appropriate, but I'm really happy to share kind of one-to-one if that's helpful another time. But I can remember a point of saying out loud to someone, I just, I don't know how I'm ever going to forgive. This, like, I just don't know how I'm going to. And I just want to share four truths quickly that I have found really helpful in walking through this towards forgiveness. The first thing being, Jesus takes sin really, really seriously. He doesn't minimize it or belittle it. Jesus takes the sin committed against you really, really seriously, and he cares. Secondly, Jesus is our perfect judge. One day he is going to return to judge the earth, and justice will be done. Even if if justice hasn't been done here on earth, we can leave it in God's hands because one day he's going to return and whoever has sinned against you, he's going to call them to account and his perfect justice will be executed. So for me, that regularly looks like me saying um, to, to God, you know what, God, thank you that even though justice hasn't been done on earth, one day you're going to come back and you're going to sort it all out. i leave it with you. So that's the second thing. Thirdly, our call to forgive is based on the mercy we've received, not on how deserving the other person is. We see that in this parable, don't we? He says, um, right at the end, the king says, when he calls the servant back to him, he says, shouldn't you have had mercy just as I had mercy on you? Our call to forgive is based on the mercy we've received with our eyes fixed on Jesus, knowing the huge billion-pound debt that he has forgiven us is from that point that we forgive others. Not because they're deserving, not because they're repentant, because they might not be. We do it with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And finally, Jesus equips and empowers us for everything that he calls us to. And he calls us to radical forgiveness. He calls us to unlimited forgiveness. All things are possible with God, and we have the same power that raised Jesus from the grave living in us. So it is possible with God to forgive. Um, I am going to recommend a book right now, and I have forgotten to bring my copy. And I don't think we have a copy on the bookshelf. On the what's it called? the bookstall, the thing over there yet, but um, we will do next time, and it's um, called The Hiding Place, some of you might have read it, um, by Corrie Ten Boom, and it's this, um, I haven't got time to really go into it in a lot of detail now, but it's this incredible story of a Dutch lady who was doing amazing things, hiding Jews, um, and um, in the Second World World War, and she got caught, she got sent to a concentration camp, and was treated hideously, and watched her sister Um, be cruelly and slowly killed by the prison guards, and many, many years later, she encounters one of these prison guards, and he comes up to her, and he says, Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And she says this, Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the heart. I can lift up my hands you supply the feeling. She trusted that as she stepped out with what God had called her to in forgiveness, that God would help her heart catch up. So, yeah, if that's you, if, what, if you can really relate to that second category of struggle to forgive, I'd really, really recommend reading The Hiding Place. Okay. So we've seen so far, haven't we, that we've been forgiven this huge debt and that we're called to forgive others around us and um, then we get to this next bit uh, where Jesus brings a warning a really stark warning so we're just going to reread it from verse 32 then the master called the servant in you wicked servant he said I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus's teachings include many, many wonderful promises, and um, we love those, don't we? And we hold on to his promises, and we have them on our fridge, and. Their memory verses, and it's wonderful to know Jesus' promises. He also teaches us about his warnings, and I think often we maybe don't know those so well. They don't look quite so nice on a fridge magnet. Um, but do you know what? If we want to grow as followers of Christ, if we want to disciple one another well, if we want to um, live in the goodness of all that God's got for us, we need to take heed of his warnings as well. And we hear Jesus bringing a warning here. And this is, it's not a manipulative or an aggressive warning. You know, I'm warning you. This is a warning of love. It's the Father's heart of love coming through Jesus to us to say, I'm warning you. If you carry on, if you carry on in this way, if you carry on in persistent, unrepenting, unforgiveness, then you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's like warnings that we might give to our kids. It's hot, don't touch that. We've got a a nearly, our youngest is nearly three, and she is nowhere near as risk-averse as I would really like her to be. And um, you know, at the moment, it's like a daily thing, calling out a warning before she finds herself in danger. You know, if you keep hopping down the stairs with your arms tucked inside your onesie, that is gonna lead to danger, like serious smashed up face. Um, If you, go towards that superglue again and swallow it, your mouth will stick together like it did last time. You know, not a good idea. Oh, totally hypothetical examples for you there. But um, <laughs> they're warnings of love because I don't want her to be hurt. And it's the same here. Jesus wants to warn us. And um, it's not the only time Jesus brings a warning about unforgiveness. Um, You know, we see it in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Well, it's not really a warning, but it's clearly in the Lord's Prayer. Um, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then at the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this in Matthew 6. For if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, neither will your Father forgive you. So what does this mean? Does it mean that God forgives us because we forgive others? We know that's not true. Because the Bible is so clear that we're saved by grace. We love because He first loved us. We show mercy because He first showed us mercy. We forgive because He first forgave us. God initiates, He goes first, 100%. Same as the King in this parable, He forgives first, doesn't He? He releases Him from His debt first. So, what is Jesus telling us with this warning then? I think it's helpful for us just to understand who Jesus was speaking to here. He was, he was with his disciples. He was with his followers. Jesus, he doesn't expect non-believers to be able to extend unlimited forgiveness because he knows it's only possible in his power and through his forgiveness of us. Jesus's disciples professing, well, they wouldn't have been called Christians, would they, but professing followers of Christ, Jesus knew that they needed to hear this warning. And I think that's because it is possible for for professing followers of Christ, for people who who say that they follow Christ, to not have truly experienced what it is to have Christ forgive them. The huge debt, and therefore to be able to extend on the limited forgiveness to others. Jesus' disciples needed to hear this warning, and so do we. These warning passages, I think they're, they're meant to cause us to examine ourselves, to take a serious look at our hearts to allow God to to wake us from our spiritual slumber. Um, I just know, for me, it's just so easy to wander off the path, and we need need these warnings to guide us back onto the path. Forgiveness of others is not a condition of salvation, but a consequence of it. I read this quote, which I think is brilliant. No such thing, there is no such thing as an unforgiving Christian. If If the gospel of forgiveness gets in you, forgiveness comes out of you. There's no such thing as an unforgiving Christian. If the gospel of forgiveness gets in you, forgiveness comes out of you. <clears throat> Coming into land now. None of us are the finished article. I am not the finished article. When I was preparing this, I was, oh, so many moments along the way, I was thinking, oh, Lord. And do you know the beauty of this is, this It starts with a forgiving king. And we have a forgiving king tonight. So if you're sitting there with a slightly trembling heart, you have a forgiving king to come back to tonight. And we're called to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. And and that's good and that's right. And there'll be times where we need waking from our spiritual slumber, where we've wandered off the path and where we've just let unforgiveness harbor in our hearts. And Jesus is bringing this warning to us to help us get back on track. So what does it look like to grow in forgiveness? To move towards the capacity for unlimited forgiveness? What does it look like to take seriously Jesus' warning that those who willfully, persistently continue in unforgiveness will not receive forgiveness from the Father? What's the antidote to unforgiveness? And I think it goes back to this. If the gospel of forgiveness has gotten into you, then forgiveness will come out. We need to dwell daily on the reality of our billion-pound debt before our God, of his outrageous grace towards us in wiping our slate clean. And as I've been prepping this, I've just been praying, Lord, would you, would you actually show me how bad my sin was? <laughs> not to condemn me, not to make me feel really bad about myself, but actually those who know how much they've been forgiven love much, don't they? It's the story of the woman with the alabaster jar. She knew how much she'd been forgiven. And her worship and her love was flowed out of that. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and on the cross. We forgive because he first forgave us. Not because others do or don't deserve it. Not because their sin towards us didn't matter. But because our perfect king hasn't treated us as we did deserve. But has instead shown us great mercy. Forgiveness in, Forgiveness out. And shall I lead on to Karis coming back? Yeah, Karis and Ed. (laughs) Um, We, yeah, do you want to just, if you want to stand, if you're able, um, we're going to have kind of a prolonged time of response and share communion together this evening, coming back to the cross. I think initially we're going to have one song and then we're going to have a bit of time for discussion and then share communion together. Um, And I just want to encourage you... um, during this song come back to the cross come back to Jesus maybe there are things that have come to mind or that God's put on your hearts have been talking that you might want to repent of um now's a good time to do that come back to Jesus come back to the cross um let's dwell on his incredible mercy and grace that he's shown us and um